0: Titus chapter two verses one through 15 uh, is where we've been. uh, And uh, I know it's been slow going, but there's been a lot there, but Titus chapter two um, begins by saying, uh, but as for you teach what accords with sound doctrine and what Paul was saying to Titus, the beginning of chapter two is teach the body how to square up their lives with what they believe with what the word of God says we know what the scriptures say concerning Jesus now, now teach the body how to live out their faith that they actually look like Christians. That's the idea. They look like little Christ. And so in the first 10, uh, 10 verses, uh, I don't know if you caught it, but it, there's a, a big, um, <clears throat> there's a repetition there. And it, it was to be, there's a phrase that's called to be, we were called to be something. And this is what, Paul said over and over that phrase to be was repeated several times in the first 10 verses. If you look at verse two, it says older men are to be sober minded. And it goes on uh, in verse three, older women are to be reverent. Verse four, younger women are to be self-control. Same with verse six, younger men are to be self-controlled. Verse seven. Hey, Titus was to be a model of good works. In verse nine, bond servants are to be submissive. And so the first part of chapter two, really, is a call for believers to be Christ-like, to live out our lives according to the uh, to the doctrine and to the model of it, and to model it for the church and the world around us to the glory of God. And so, after the call to be, in verses one through uh, basically one through ten, then Paul tells us in verses eleven through fourteen and fifteen, he goes. Now I'm going to tell you why that's to be, why that is, why why that is. And so follow along with me as I read verses 11 through 15 or 14 says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of God, Of our great God and savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself, a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. And then Paul uh, gives, gives Timothy a personal exhortation in verse 15 says, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one disregard you. With that, let's bow our heads quickly. Father, I want to thank you so much for this passage of scripture. I pray that in the minutes we have together that you drive uh, your truth home in our hearts, soften our hearts Lord before you and give us wills to follow. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So when the Lord calls us to be something or to do something, how many of you have you noticed that he also tells you why that is? Have you read your scripture? Either he'll start out with a bunch of of who you are in Christ. And then he tells you, then then this is now how you act according to that truth, or he'll tell you to do something. And then he'll tell you why that's true. This is the truth. This is the model of what it is. And so that's, what's happening here. Paul in his typical fashion, he goes and tells them what to be in chapter, in chapter two. And then in verse three, uh, the beginning of chapter two, then the end of chapter two, now he goes, now this is why it's true. In verse 11 is the key verse. he says, This is why, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The reason that we're called to be is because God's grace has appeared and it's brought salvation. God's grace has appeared. The word grace in Greek is where we get the word charisma, but the idea behind it is is, uh, loving kindness. God's loving kindness has appeared his good favor towards you. His favor, his goodwill towards you has appeared. That's what that means. The grace of God has appeared. And Paul says the reason for the change in our lives is because the grace of God has appeared to you. God's grace, his loving kindness, his goodwill, his favor towards us has appeared and has brought salvation. What's he talking about? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He had caress towards the world. He had love towards the world, goodwill towards the world. He had favor towards the world, world. He had loving kindness towards the world. So that he gave his only son the grace of God appearing. That whoever believes upon him would not perish but would have everlasting life this is the gospel god saw you and me in our lost estate god had grace upon us mercy upon us as well and he sent the grace of god into our path into our life into this world we were under judgment we were under sin we were under condemnation if you keep reading john 316 read john 317 for he didn't send a son to condemn the world because the world was already condemned. He basically sent it to save us out of the condemnation. We were already under the condemnation, but God saw us in our lost estate, totally gone. No way of getting to him. Sheep without a shepherd off the path. Dogs returning to our vomit. As the scriptures say, hate to be graphic, but that's what it is in his eyes unrighteous. He saw us dead in our sins and trespasses under condemnation, awaiting death and judgment, eternal separation from God. But God, Ephesians 425, write that down uh, Four two, uh, sorry, Ephesians two, four through five says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us, Alive together with Christ, it is by grace you have been saved. His grace appeared, bringing salvation. That's awesome. The reason we are to be changed is because God's grace appeared. Jesus Christ came in the flesh. The son of God, the grace of God manifested in a person. His loving kindness towards you manifested his favor towards you manifested towards me towards sinners, He appeared and he died for our sin. And he rose again to give us life that we might no longer be under the bondage of sin, no longer under the slavery of sin, but now adopted into the kingdom as sons and daughters of God. So Jesus brought salvation. And this salvation is the big package. This is, this is the idea of what Paul's working off of here salvation is a big package. It's justification, sanctification, glorification. I know these are Christianese words. It's being justified, meaning that God saves you from the penalty of sin. Then being sanctified, God saves you from the power of sin in your life. That's ongoing right now. And then God will one day in glorification, save us from the very presence of sin. That's what salvation is. It's a big package. And so sometimes you'll read in your scriptures, you were saved. Yes, you were, you were justified. That's a one-time deal, but guess what? You are also being saved. What does he mean? I'm being saved. I'm a little nervous now being saved from the power of sin in your life. What happened then has an ongoing effect and that ongoing effect happens in your daily life, sanctification. And then finally face to face with God, glorification. You're going to be saved from even the presence of sin. It's not going to be in you and it's not going to be around you eventually in his plan. Amen. Hallelujah. To the glory of God. But grace came bringing salvation. That's what Jesus came to bring big salvation. A lot of us are stuck on just phase one, man. I've been saved by Jesus. Yay. Amen. It's a great place to be stuck. Dwell on that. That's the anchor point for moving forward, right? We don't want to neglect that, but that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. He came to bring us life, life. And Paul says that the salvation was brought for all men. Now this doesn't mean that all men are saved. That's it's not universalism. Whoever believes that they believe a lie and they're teaching a lie. If they teach that God does not save all people. We don't all end up saved. All roads do lead to Rome in that you end up before God, either righteous or unrighteous. (laughs) That's how it ends up. And either you are separated for eternal uh, punishment and destruction in hell, or you have eternal life. And uh, with God, it's either one or the other. And and Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. He is the path of salvation. And so to those who believe upon Jesus, they are the ones who receive salvation, but this salvation was brought for all people. It's not just for the elites. Amen. It's not just for the super high end, you know, 0.001% of the world powers up there. It's not just for the Jews. Amen. It's not just for the super spiritual elitists who know how all the, all the, like, no, I know the word sanctification, justification, glorification. So, therefore, and I even got it out of order. But, anyways, just for me. If you come to me, you get secret knowledge and you. No, to all people. This is what he's talking about in this chapter. Are you old? It came to you. Are you an old guy, old gal? Older men, older women? What about younger? came to you, younger men, younger women. What if your slave came to you? Salvation came to all people. It's offered to all. You know, I think in Corinthians, first Corinthians one, Paul says, you know, Hey, not many of you were wise and noble and all this type of stuff when you were called, but most of you all were not anything to speak of whatsoever. So the, the actual, the fact is, is that, God's grace is usually rejected by those who are self-sufficient. It is actually, but those who are poor in spirit broken, that's the one that usually receives it, but it is spread out to all people. It's offered. And so if you're taking notes this morning, the reason that you are to be changed, it's because the grace of God appeared and it brought salvation to you've you been saved. If you've believed upon Jesus. Amen. And our transformation, the reason why we're to be all these things that the scriptures calls us to, it's rooted in the change. It's rooted in the fact that you are now saved by grace through faith. You've been called by God. You've been changed through faith in Christ. Now, Paul's point here is that the grace of God in salvation, it changes people. There's to be a change in us. It's a natural change by a nature change. And so, if you're born again, you've undergone transformation. You've gone from the kingdom of darkness. You've gone to the kingdom of light. That's the idea. You've gone from being a child of the devil to be a child of God. To now following after the Lord Jesus Christ instead of following after the enemy. That was our default. Whether you go, oh, I'm not a devil worshiper. I was never a devil worshiper. You were a child of the devil. You were under his influence, following his ways until God came into your life and saved you. And now you are by nature, his child, not the enemies. And so the grace of God has changed the believer at the very core. And that's what the church is made up of. Did you know that those who have been changed, this is not a social club just because you go to church does not mean you are a part of the church. I want to be very clear. That's the opposite of what a lot of what is being spread these days. Come to church. You're a part of the church. Now it's open. Come receive the Lord. Yes. Come to him. But you don't become a part of the church by going to church. You become a part of the church by going through Jesus Christ. He brings you into his church through his faith in his death and resurrection, he calls you to himself. He justifies you. He'll sanctify you and he will glorify you. It is his work. So the church is made up of people from every tongue and tribe and nation, all peoples who have faith in God. There are brothers and sisters right now who are all over the world, who love Jesus, who are your brothers and sisters because of Jesus Christ. We might walk while you might walk up to them and never understand a word that comes out of their mouth, but there is a connection in the spirit because of what God has done in us. We've been changed by the grace of God. And it's not only the God's grace that was manifest to, to us in salvation. Not only have we been justified, so to speak, but God's grace doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop at you receiving Jesus. And this is where the church gets stuck is that we, we, we understand the gospel. We believe Jesus, but then God wants us to grow in Christ and we have to let the Lord teach us. And he will be calling on your heart to change and to move and to deny yourself and to pick up Christ and to follow him. And if you deny that you're going to be spiritually stagnant and that's a miserable place to be. And we've all been there, but God's grace doesn't stop just at justification. That part of salvation But God's grace was manifested and has brought salvation to all people. Verse 12. And what does that salvation do in us? What happens when we're saved? Training us. God's grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly, worldly passions. This is what God's grace does to us. It trains us. So not only does he he come into us in his loving kindness and he saves us out of our sin. He now wants to save us from the power of sin over our lives. This is the work of sanctification. This is the work of the spirit in the life of a believer. And so we're not left as orphans. Amen. We aren't, we're born, we're, we aren't born again to be left as spiritual babies. God's grace continues to train us. And so not only does we, are we justified now we're sanctified. Verse 12 speaks of this. And here in verse 12, we see that it teaches us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And if you think about it, have you ever renounced anything? I know it's kind of like that negative connotations like renounce, recant, you know, we kind of got those ideas, but that's the idea is it's, it's a total abandonment of something that you are a part of. And this is what the grace of God will teach a believer to renounce something. He says to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And if you do think about it to renounce something, you had to be totally in and going for it. Anybody else? like totally for something and have been a part of something. And then the Holy spirit convicts you of your sin. You go, I've got to renounce that. Goodbye. You know, I remember when I first came to the Lord, just all the music I listened to. And I know it creeps back in and all that kind of stuff, but it was just an ungodly influence in my life. And people go, Oh, you know, you're a book burner and all that kind of stuff. It's like, no man, I want to walk after the Lord. That stuff had a hook in me. And there's a cleansing effect that the Holy spirit had in my life when I came to him. And he taught me to renounce that stuff. And I didn't need to rehearse worldly mantras in my mind anymore. I mean, right now, if I were to save, say a, a phrase of a song, we'd all go, Bling. you know, we're all programmed. But if I, you know, shoot out a verse, we're kind of like, I don't have, any. you know what I mean? It's like the Lord wants to clean out that old and, and move in the new, get rid of the death and bring in the life. And so, that's exactly what we were before God's grace appeared and brought us salvation. We were ruled by ungodliness and worldly passions. That's, that's kind of what typified us some to greater degrees than the other uh, than others. And I go back again to Ephesians chapter two, and this is a key verse. If you're looking at this stuff, Ephesians two, one through three kind of describes an ungodly person and someone who's controlled by worldly passions. It says there in Ephesians two, one through three, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. And this is, this is how you were. You were dead, spiritually dead. You were, and I were walking according to the course of the world. And that was under the influence of the enemy. And it's typified by a word disobedience. That's what we were towards God. We were dead. We were walking in the worldly ways in fleshly ways, and we were disobedient towards God. And he says in verse three, he says among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature, what children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's who we used to be. And so this describes who we were before grace, a spiritually dead person walking in the ways of the world under the influence of the enemy and just flat out disobedient under God's wrath. That's not a good place to be. And so we all embraced that at one time, but now because of the grace of God saving us and now by the power of the Holy spirit, which indwells us, we are taught to renounce that old life, the life that we knew. That gripped us. That was a part of us. Who we were. We're taught to renounce it. And for those of you this morning who are born again, he's teaching you this morning to continue to renounce it. How many of you feel like your life is like a layer of an onion. It's like God bought the onion and he changed the nature, but man, he's peeling off layers like year after year. Anybody else? Yeah. By the grace of God. And for those of us again, who have been born again, this is something that's ongoing in our lives. And it is a good thing. Know that if you're convicted over sin and you're being convinced of these things and you're being challenged to renounce stuff, God is at work in your life. That's a sign of his grace and his mercy towards you. Amen. Yeah. And and we read sections of scripture like Galatians five. And he teaches us the difference between the old life of flesh and the new life by the spirit, what it is to live by the spirit and what it was to live by the flesh. And, and we're now given this discernment as God teaches us. And so we read verses like uh, Galatians five, starting in verse nineteen, says now the works of the flesh are evident: sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, uh, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of uh, of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy,ness drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. The list goes on. He's saying. Now I warn you as you did before that those who do such things or who practice such things live in such a manner will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not saying stop these things and you'll inherit the kingdom of God. It's saying that that typifies that's the fruit of a life of a person who is not changed. Who hasn't received salvation. And so God teaches us to put off these things when the core has been changed. Amen. And so Paul says the same in Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. Says, but that it, uh, but that is not the way you learn Christ. And he's talking about a bad example there. He says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth in Jesus. I'm assuming you've heard about him as I'm writing to the church, and that you've been taught about Jesus in the church. This is what Paul's assumption is he's writing to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And, is, and, and to be renewed in the spirit. And so there's a teaching of what your old life was and a clarity about what the new life is. And we're to put off the old and to put on the new. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3, 1 through 10. I'm going to read that too. Echoes the same thing. Write that down. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Worldly, heavenly. Fleshy. Spirit. Okay. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth, fill in the blank for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Listen, that's who you are. That's where you're seated. That's where your home is. That's where your mind should be. So put to death verse five, therefore, what is earthly in you? What is that? Paul, sexual morality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Old life, old person, those who aren't saved, wrath of God. That typifies that right. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming in these. And again, guys, the wrath of God, what are we saved from? Salvation isn't like, Oh, you know, your best life now. It's like, he saves you from the wrath of God, from what we deserve. And not only he saves that he saves us from who we are <laughs> and he adopts us and makes us like who he is, gives us his spirit in our life. That's amazing. This is on account of these the wrath of God is coming in these. You too, once walked, you practiced when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Put them away. Church. That's what you are to be. Amen. You are not to be this. You are to be this. Put them away. He says, put them away. You must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after his image and his Creator. You see, God's grace teaches us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. The Holy spirit is at work in our lives this morning as believers. I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord. He's still teaching you to be Christ-like to put off those things and to put on the new man to put on Christ. Look at verse 12 with me. Not only does he teach us to what to renounce in sanctification. He tells you what to put on. He only tells you what to walk away from. He now tells you where your new home is, where your life is. Amen? Verse 12. Now, grace teaches us this it says to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. God's grace teaches us what to renounce and now how to live. And this is what the Lord teaches us. Romans 11 13 through 14. Another example, not on the screen here. You have to get in your own Bibles, Romans 13, 11 through 14. Besides this, you know, the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from your sleep. Wake up from your sleep. You were dead. Now it's time for you to live like you're alive church for salvation is near for salvation is nearer to us than we first believed. Wait a second. I thought I was saved Again, Salvation is nearer to us than we first believe. So what kind of salvation is he talking about here? Your glorification. It's coming the day when you see Jesus, when it's all done So, live like it. That's what he's saying. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness and sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. He's just putting out typical behaviors of pagan uh, life. So we can take a walla walla uh, examples and throw this in here. And it would, it would match up whatever that looks like of not walking in the light. But it says verse 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in all that other stuff. Verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make, make no provision of the flesh to gratify its desires. Well, that's a, One to underline verse 14, put on the Lord and make no provisions for the flesh. Right? So here, Paul says, in these verses, and we'll go through them quickly, that we are also taught that grace teaches us to live firstly, to be self-controlled. And we've already gone over this verse a lot because it calls every single one of those people groups to be self-controlled, right? The idea is that when the spirit of God comes into our lives, we are now to be governed by the spirit of God and not by our flesh. Uh, I like what MacArthur says on this. He says uh, to be sensible is another way of saying being self-controlled. The sensible believer does not allow circumstances or irresponsible influence of others to distract him or affect his own judgment. We're principled. We, we are anchored on the truth and we live according to it. Amen. So the Holy Spirit will teach you to be self-controlled. It's a fruit of the spirit. God's grace also trains us to be upright. This means to live righteously, to do rightly before God and to do rightly before one another. And not only that, um, God teaches us to rene- uh, uh Sorry. What's the third one there? Sorry. I lost my notes. Godly lives. Yep. I'm sorry. Yeah. To live and to live godly lives, to be Christ-like in this present age. And that's why he's talking about in this present age. What does that mean? There's an age to come. We live with eternity in our eyes, in our, in our setting. And he's going to be talking about that shortly. And so God's grace, not only trains us what to put off, what to renounce. He tells us what to put on. Amen. And then next, God's grace trains us to live in the light of return of Jesus This is a very purifying fact. Listen, this world is getting nuts. Yes. Yeah. Just like the Bible said it would just like it was prophesied. It's happening. It's happening to a greater degree. You know, we used to look at scripture and go, Oh, you know, yeah, I could see maybe, okay. It's getting a little more clear. Now it's like, Oh my goodness. What in the world is going on here? Talk about, you know, a system where you cannot buy or sell unless you take a mark. It's here folks. The the system is, is, is being set up. I am not like talking about vaccinated. I'm talking about the system of control and power behind all of this. That is, you know, it's not as if the world got together and has this, you know, let's all work together. To, you know, maybe the, and we are so at odds, but there is a demonic power behind the structure that's saying this vaccination thing is going to the card the vaccination thing is going to be pulled out and what's going to be inserted is a influence over people you will not be able to buy and sell you won't be able to go into a grocery store you won't be able to eat you won't be able to buy on amazon you won't be able to do whatever it is you need to do unless you have the mark that's what's coming so get ready to the politics part of it and look at the big picture and say, there is a, there is a, just as the scriptures say in revelation, this day is coming. Now I personally hope and pray and believe that the church is going to be out of here before then, but I'm not enjoying the process <laughs> of seeing the end come. but nevertheless, it's coming. Our day is drawing near. And so what the grace of God teaches us is not only that we're saved from sin and the power of sin, but, but to put our eyes upon Jesus, who's going to be coming and everything is, gonna, I mean, can't, doesn't it naturally drive towards that as you're looking at everything, you're going, Oh, what a mess can't be fixed. Not in a person, not in a politician. It can't be fixed. And I'm sure there's going to be someone popping up soon that says they got, a, they got a solution to this. Right but it can't be fixed. And so where do our hearts jump to? Our salvation, our great hope. He's coming. Either he's going to call you home like our brother Mike Brumback, or he's going to come get us. And I know there's a different views on 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 the time frame and all that, but he is true on his word. Whatever he means by all that, it's happening. He's going to come get his church. Verse 13, grace teaches us to wait for our blessed hope. That means looking for our blessed hope, looking to Jesus, our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and savior, Jesus Christ. This is our glorification. The the grace of God It teaches us to wait to the day when we're changed. I mean, we long for that day, don't we? I long for that day. Yes. I want to stick around. I want to see grandkids. I want to go through all those things. I, I love the graces of life. Don't get me wrong. But in my heart, in the very core of it is I long to be with the Lord. I long for him to come back. I long for him to set things right. Cause I know like he's just going to do it right. Amen. He's going to come settle all the issues. It's just going to be right. It's going to be a kingdom, where righteousness dwells. He's going to set all the issues in me. (laughs) He's going to set all the issues in you. He's going to settle them in the world. And it's going to be right. It's going to be put in its right place and he will rule. And I want him to rule now in me. Amen. in us. So this glorification, this day is coming. And that is a purifying effect. As we look and wait for Jesus to come back, knowing that he can come back at any time. There's a purifying effect on the church. The second coming of Jesus Christ has a tremendously purifying effect upon us. If we live that way, Matthew 25, one through 13 is a parable that Jesus gave about his return. It speaks about the kingdom of heaven. And there's a lot of them here. If you read 25, there's several different parables about what the return of Christ and what it's like from different angles, but the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom and five of them were foolish and five were wise for when the foolish took their lamps and they took no oil with them, but the wise, the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, our bridegroom is delayed. Jesus says, hasn't come back yet. We're waiting. That's the picture here. They all became drowsy and slept joy. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom come out to meet him. And then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps And the foolish one said to the wise, Hey, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered and said, since there will not be enough for us and for you go rather to the dealers and buy for yourself. And while they were going to buy the bridegroom came and those who were ready, Keyword went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was what? Shut. Today is the day of salvation. Get your oil. Get straight. Get ready for Jesus to come. If you haven't received the Lord yet, salvation has appeared. He's offered it. Repent and believe upon Jesus. He's coming back. He came the first time to offer peace. The second time he's coming back for war. He's going to clear house. When the door closes, it's closed. And afterward, the, the other versions came also saying, Lord, Lord open to us. But he answered truly. I say to you, do you, uh, I, I, I do not know you. And this is something Jesus repeated several times. Said, I don't know you. I don't intimately know you, but he answered truly. I say to you, I don't know you watch. Therefore, for you know, neither the day nor the hour. This is what all the, the disciples anticipated. They waited. They were anticipating the return of the Lord. And that should mess with our theology a little bit. Whatever it is, there's an anticipation that the Lord is coming back in this church. It's got to be that interpretation. It's got to be the soon imminent return of Jesus Christ. It's he's coming. Are wicks primed and ready with good works being lived out? Are we ready for the Lord to return? There's a lot about that. So not only does God's grace bring us salvation and teach us to renounce sin and to live godly lives in Christ's return. God's grace also, lastly, reveals his plan to us. And I'll just do this real quickly. You know, how many of you are parents and how many of you kind of kept your kids in the dark about almost everything you did? They don't need to know about your bills and finances, right? Old school, right? You know what I mean? But here we find out that God actually reveals his plan to his children. He tells us what is going on. It's amazing. God's grace manifests his plan to us. We get to see the big picture of what he's doing. And I'll just quickly read it. Verse 14. What he who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is God's plan. He sent his son to redeem us from the law, from all lawlessness. That's the cross. His plan was the cross, to send his son to pay for our sins and secondly to purify, to sanctify, to purify us, to teach us to renounce and now to follow him. Amen. That we would now follow after him, be Christ-like. And this purified people is for his own possession. You've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. You've been purchased out of the slavery sin. You're his. He owns you. That's a good ownership. Good deal. You're his own possession. He possesses you. Amen? And thirdly, what is that possession? What's the purpose for it? Well, his own possession that this people would be zealous for good works. How many of you are zealous for good works? God wants to work that in his church. He wants to work it in this church that we'd be zealous for good works. What are you zealous for? What am I zealous for? I think there needs to be more sanctification going on. Amen. This is what is to mark the redeemed, the church. We are redeemed and purified for good works. We know this Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. What does it say there? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. What? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is how we're to walk now, walk in good works. you don't get saved by good works. The good works are a result of your salvation. A good tree that's received the salvation bears good fruit. It starts inside and manifests itself out. And this is why we are called to let God do that work in this church. If you're stunted in your spiritual growth, Go back to where the Lord last told you to do something. I think that's good advice. Go back to where he told you what to do, what to put off. He's just waiting. Go back to it. Be obedient, respond, and then watch the river flow. Amen. Ephesians two ten. for we were, are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which prepared for beforehand that we should walk in them first Peter two, nine to 12. But you are a chosen race. You are a chosen race. Church. Open your ears. You are a chosen race. God chose you a royal priesthood. You're a priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are declarers of his grace of his excellencies. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You are his possession. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved. This is Peter. I urge you as sojourners, And as exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage in war against your soul, and keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter, you see, we're to be because we've been redeemed and purified by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's salvation that God has brought us by his grace. It teaches us. Then here, Paul, because it's so important, imagine the pressure of a young Timothy who has to turn. It's a young Titus too. By the way, Titus is young. Then that happens to be the book we're in. Imagine the pressure of Titus when he has to then turn to all these folks in the church and encourage them in sanctification encourage them to put off things, encourage them to put on things. And not only that, to be a model of it, man, I do not want to be in Titus's shoes. I kind of am, but you know what I'm talking about, right? This is the purification that is to be pushed in the church, to be encouraged in the church, because this is the work that God wants to do in us. Make us more like Jesus because Jesus is in us and he wants to get out. Draw out of us. Amen? And he says here to him in the last verse: he says, declare these things, preach these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one disregard you. Yikes. To to declare means to preach, to exhort means to persuade and to encourage and to rebuke. This means to convince and correct someone who is living contrary to the truth. And Titus was to do this with the authority of God. Listen, the authority is God's word. It's not pastor Matt. It's the word of God. Amen. But yes, I've been given authority. The elders have been given authority of church. I don't want to minimize that but our authority is just rooted in what he says. That's it. So let no one disregard you. Don't ignore this. And so brothers and sisters in closing, man, God's grace has appeared as salvation has appeared to you. Have you received Jesus? If so, have you let God's grace teach you lately? What to put off and what to put on. how to renounce sin and how to live. Amen. How's that working for you? And then God's grace teaches us about his imminent return. We are living in the end times. The day draws near our blessed hope is coming. Are you ready? Are you ready? Not like, Oh gosh, I'm so tired of this. I'm ready. But are you zealous for good works? Ready? Amen. May he do that work in us. Lord, thank you so much. Again this morning, Lord, I know there's a lot of Lord, when we speak about spiritual things, God, I know the flesh just wants to jump in there. And we know from the parable of the casting of the of the seed that sometimes it falls on hard ground or stony ground or thorny ground. And I'm praying, Lord, that you would give us discernment in those areas. And I pray that our hearts would receive your word this morning and not let it go by the wayside. Not let it dry out and burn out, not let it be choked out by the deceitfulness of riches and the pursuits of the world, and that it would grow down deep in our hearts, and produce the fruit that you desire. So do your work in us this morning, Lord. Purify us as you always have. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, Father. Amen.